This week is Parshas Shemini. Now, it's actually interesting that if you fly to Israel and you go to there for Shabbos and you go to the, the, the synagogue, you'll find out that they're not actually reading Shemini in Israel. They're on to, up to the next Parsha. And the reason for that is somewhat uh, happens uh, every couple of years because we know in the diaspora outside of Israel, we celebrate two days of Pesach the first days and two days the second days, whereas in Israel it's only one day. So this past Friday was Pesach, and Shabbos for us was also Pesach. But in Israel, it wasn't. It was just a regular Shabbos. So here, because it was Pesach, we read the Pesach-related portions, whereas in Israel, they already read Shemini, so they're a week ahead. They're going to be a week ahead until they realign it uh, again. Now, this sweet Parsha has, I think, maybe the most sudden or surprising or shocking event maybe in the whole Torah. So the Parsha is called Shmini. Shmini means the eighth. And it's the eighth day of the inauguration. For the past 10 or so Parshios, the Torah is primarily dealing with the assembly and erection of the tabernacle of the Mishkan. So first, God tells Moshe, I want you to build this Mishkan for me. I'm going to dwell in it. And you have to collect all the materials and you have to build them. And then you have to assemble everything together, and then you have seven days of inauguration, and this is finally the eighth day, it's the final day of the inauguration, it's going to be the massive celebration, finally we're going to kickstart this incredible earth-based edifice, but that has God dwelling in it, which is a pretty astonishing idea, that we're going to build a house for God here, and he's going to move in, and he's going to live there. And the parasha begins with, with high hopes, Moshe calls Aaron and all of the elders, and he says, "Okay, this is what we're going to do. You just follow these instructions, and we're going to be we're going to kick off this incredible building, but this, also this incredible relationship that we're going to have with God, because now God is going to dwell amongst us, and things are really going swimmingly, and the whole nation even starts singing to God. They're so excited." Aaron brings a sacrifice, and then the whole nation's there watching with bated breath what's going to happen, and a fire erupts from heaven and consumes the sacrifices. And everyone like is so shocked by what they see, they all start singing. And it's like, wow, we, we, we have reached the pinnacle, God's amongst us. And in the very next verse, chapter 10, it really just comes crashing down to earth like an erupting space shuttle. Nadav and Avil, these are the two sons of Aaron. Aaron had four sons, but these are two of them. And these are the heir apparents for Moshe and for Aaron. Moshe is the king of the Jewish people. He's the leader. Aaron is the Kohen Gadol. He's the spiritual leader. These are the tandem that are leading the nation for the past 40 years. Or actually, this is the beginning. But for the duration of the Torah, for the 40 years in the wilderness, Moshe and Aaron are the leadership. But who is going to, who are they grooming to be their successors? Nadav and Avi, the two sons of Aaron. And they make a blunder. They are so moved by this whole experience that they decide they want to partake in this as well. And they try to offer a sacrifice to God. But the problem is, is that God told Moshe, this is what I want. And he did not tell them, this is what I want for, the, for their sacrifice. So they walk into the tabernacle. And another fire comes, and this fire is not consuming the sacrifice, it's consuming them. And the two sons of Aaron 
the two stars, the superstars of the Jewish nation, the future leaders of the people, die. And it's just a crash landing. Much of the Parsha, much of the commentaries in the Parsha are oriented around figuring out what they did wrong. But I think it's really interesting to look about what happens afterwards. So right after they die, they die in verse 2. A fire went out from Hashem and consumed them, and they died before Hashem. And then Moshe speaks to Aaron, and he tells him something very interesting. He tells him, I was waiting for something like this to happen. On the day that God told me, build the tabernacle, build the mishkan, he also told me that when it actually is set up, I'm going to be sanctified with those that are close to me which is a way of saying there's going to be someone who's close to me, close to God, who is going to be, so to speak, brought as a sacrifice and and going to die. And Moshe tells Aaron, I thought it was either me or it was you. Who's closer to God than you and me? And now I see that God took your children. I realized that they were even greater than me. And that is the consolation that Moshe offers Aaron on the death of his two sons, and Aaron accepts the consolement, and he is silent. And then immediately after, the very next matter that the Torah addresses is the laws of Kohanes, of a Kohanim, that they're not allowed to drink alcohol when they walk into the tabernacle. And of all the mitzvahs in the Torah, the only one, the only time that God speaks to Aaron in absence of Moshe, that God speaks to Aaron and not to Moshe. There's many times that God speaks to Moshe and Aaron. And for the majority of the Torah, of course, God speaks to Moshe only. But there's one instance in the Torah where God speaks to Aaron alone. Go tell the Jewish people this law. It's right after his two sons died. And the commentaries tell us something very fascinating. They tell us that Why did Aaron merit to momentarily, or at least for this one mitzvah, catapult to the highest levels of prophecy? God speaks directly to him like he speaks to Moshe to tell over the Jewish people. How did, what did Aaron do to earn this incredible privilege and honor to be given a prophecy from God, to be, to be the conduit that's going to convey the Torah to the Jewish people? What did he do to merit that? It was his reaction to the tragedy that unfolded in his family. Because he was silent, because he accepted the judgment of God, that is why he merited that God spoke to him. Rashi brings this over here in, uh, in, in the verse that talks about Aaron's silence. It's verse 3. Vayidom Aaron kibel schar al He received reward for his silence, and which reward did he receive? The, this, the prophecy from God was secluded with him. It was only him and God without Moshe in the following, uh, in the following uh, matter that the Torah addresses. And I think this is really interesting because what it's telling us is that we know that in the Torah, there's always tit for tat. When you do something, either good or bad, God treats you with respect to how you behave. 
And therefore, the, the tzaddik is treated one way, the righteous person is treated one way, the rasha, the wicked person is treated a different way. But also, the good things that you do, the reward is, is commensurate, it's tailored, it's mirrored for the good thing that you did. And similarly, the punishment is always tailored to the behavior that resulted in, the, in, in, in that punishment. So for example, the ten plagues of Egypt. All the commentaries stress and all the midras talks about exactly why these ten plagues specifically fit the crime that the Egyptians perpetrated on their Jewish subjects. Each one of them was tailored precisely because of the behavior that the Egyptians did to their Jewish, to, uh, to their Jewish constituents. And similarly here, I think we have to understand, it's an interesting idea. God is going to speak to Aaron. And he's going to tell him prophecy that Aaron's going to convey to the Jewish people, which is something that is normally reserved only for Moshe. And here we're told that Aaron earned it because of his silence with respect to the tragedy that he experienced. And I think it's interesting because there is a Midrash in the book of Exodus that asks the same question with respect to Moshe. What did Moshe do that earned him the right and the merit to be the one that receives God's prophecy? Well, here we see Aaron, it's the out of the ordinary one. Normally it's Moshe. Now it's Aaron. Rashi says, okay, well, he got reward. What's the reward God spoke to him? But what about Moshe? What did Moshe do to earn the right and the privilege and the honor and the distinction to be the person to whom God prophesizes. So the Midrash tells us in the beginning of the book of Exodus that Moshe did something very special. When Moshe was a prince of Egypt, he grew up after all in Pharaoh's house. And as a budding adolescent, he goes out and he visits his Jewish brethren and he suffers alongside them. And he sees people schlepping bricks and he says, okay, I want to help you. And he tries to negotiate on their behalf with Pharaoh. Says the Midrash, God says to Moshe, you were lofty. You were high society. You were part of the Egyptian elite. You were a prince after all. And what do you do? You lowered yourself and treated those that are lower in the social strata as brothers. I, says God, I am in the upper spheres as well but I am going to lower myself and talk to you. The reason why Moshe merited his prophecy was because of his love and kinship and brethren that he showed with his Jewish Jewish brothers and sisters by lowering himself, by having humility and kindness and thus saying, I'm with you. And God says, okay, if you're with them, I'm with you. But here Aaron What's Aaron doing that really warrants God to speak to him? In in the case of Moshe, we see exactly. God says, you did this, I'm going to do the exact same thing with you. But here Aaron, he experiences tragedy. God, and everyone knows that because this is a magical fire. God consumes his two sons, the pupils of his eye, the thing that he's the most connected to, his children, the people that are destined to become or being groomed to become the next leaders of the Jewish people. 
And Aaron's silent. Aaron takes it. Aaron doesn't protest. Aaron doesn't question what God did to him. How does that result in Aaron receiving prophecy? So I want to suggest an answer. I want to suggest that we know that humans have a soul. And when someone has prophecy in Jewish philosophy, prophecy is not the human body talking to God. Prophecy is the human soul talking to God. Now, theoretically, every one of us can experience prophecy. And in fact, this is a little bit off topic, but the Midrash and the Talmud and the Agadita and all those slightly esoteric sources that talk about what the soul does before it's put into a body, it talks about all kinds of prophecies that the soul experiences. So the soul, it's in each and every one of us, already had prophecy. They're veterans. So each one of us really, if we, if we could kind of separate the various parts within us, we have a prophet within us. Prophecy is actually normal for the soul. The only reason why prophecy is unique is because once the soul is buried into the body and the person kind of the identity of the person shifts to being a more of a body centric individual, well, the body can talk to God, only the soul can. And therefore, unless someone takes the steps to try to restore the soul to its prominence, unless someone does that, they're not going to be capable of prophecy. So I think what the Torah is telling us is that there's two ways to get there, or there's two components of restoring the soul to its prominence. Moshe, what did he do? He showed brethren and kinship with others that are less fortunate to him. The characteristic that most epitomizes the body is distinction and separation between that person and other people. If my body feels bad, if I stub my toe, I feel it, none of you do. Maybe you'll say, eh, I feel kind of bad for you. But really, it doesn't hurt you. It hurts me. That's just, that is the way that bodies orient. That's the, the fundamental difference that exists as in a human because they have a body is the fact that they are kind of walled off in their own world. Everyone's walled off in their own world. And the objective that Torah is trying to get, trying to transform us is that we kind of break these little walls, these cocoons, and expose ourselves to other people. Which is why, love your fellow as yourself. That's a foundational principle of Torah. Because the only reason why I don't love my fellow as myself is because I'm, I'm, I'm trapped in this body. Whereas if I was a soul, it would be very innate for me to love my fellow as myself. And what Moshe did by loving his fellow as himself, by caring and feeling the pain and helping shoulder the burden of his brethren, that is demonstrating that what's operating within him, it's the soul and it's not the body. Well, someone like that, they are perfectly primed for prophecy. 
their soul is now there. It's exposed to the world, and they can communicate with God. What does Aaron do over here? Aaron is someone that is faced with the, the, the hardest challenge that a parent could possibly face. Out of the blue, with no preparation, with suddenly, with, with there's no run-up, no warning, and even the commentaries are trying to find out, oh, what did they do so bad? And there's like 10 different answers. Everyone's trying to figure out what did they do so bad. And the truth is they didn't do something so bad. They didn't. And someone who was a lesser person than Aaron would have a lot of questions to ask God. There'd be a lot of questions. Why did you do this? They were so righteous. You couldn't give a little latitude. These these were the future leaders. What's everyone going to say? And Aaron's silent. Aaron is showing that God controls the world and decides what happens. And someone only lives if God wants them to live. And someone dies when God wants. Hashem Nasan, Hashem They are acknowledging Aaron is acknowledging the fact that our perspective of the world is not necessarily the true one. The soul's perspective, the soul that innately knows that God is in control and God is manipulating everything and there is a higher plan, that soul is what's being exhibited over here with Aaron's silence and acceptance. Immediately says the Torah, oh, what's Aaron doing? Aaron is behaving like a soul. Aaron is not questioning what God did. Right away, it's going to immediately result in him experiencing prophecy. A week ago, there was a, a terrible tragedy that happened in uh, in the state of New York. Uh, there was a, a an engaged couple, a bride and a groom. They were traveling from upstate New York to the girl's parents' home, and they were killed by drunk drivers. And uh, we have a particular uh, familial connection because the the girl uh, who died, who was killed, tragically, at the age of 20, she her brother, AJ, is married to my sister. And uh, this this horrific, horrific tragedy, this is like a mile away from their home. And it was the middle of the night. It's like one in the morning. And there were like two drunk drivers who were like drag racing. And they crashed and, and they died. And the parents didn't even know what happened uh, until much, much later. Because they, they couldn't find her. And there was no, there were, the, the police didn't contact them. It was just disastrous. And, and that's it. Then they died on Pesach. And... I was in Canada for the second days of Pesach and because the deaths happened on the holiday, we know that you don't sit Shiva on a festival, on a holiday. So the Shiva began after Pesach. So Sunday through through this week, as we speak, they're still sitting in Shiva. So my wife and I decided that because my brother-in-law was sitting in Shiva, this family have uh, they have twelve children, uh, eight girls, and uh, and four boys. One of them is my brother-in-law, and the parents. So there's uh, thirteen people sitting in shiva. So we decided that we're going to drive in to go visit them, to go console them. And so we drove in the whole Saturday night, the whole Matzah Shabbos from Canada. It's like an eight-hour drive. 
and we were there for a few hours, three, four hours, and then we drove back. And we were back uh, uh, early Monday morning. But I was sitting there, and this is a family that, out of the blue, suddenly, with no preparation, with no forewarning, had this terrible, terrible tragedy that happened to them. And I'm listening to what they're saying. And uh, the mother, she's she's speaking, and she's speaking from her heart. And she's telling everyone, there's, and there's, there's people, there's, there's 30, 40, 50 people in the room, and there's constantly people coming and going to console them. And the mother tells, she tells everyone, she says, I have no questions against Hashem. I know that you only live if Hashem wants you to live, and you're only married if Hashem wants you to be married. And everything, we're at the mercy of Hashem. And she says, I, I don't know if I'm going to feel this way forever. I'm sure there's going to be days where it's going to be difficult. But I believe it now, and I know it's true. And to me, like this is a remarkable testament of the attitude that we see here in the Parsha with, with Aaron. When things that are inexplicable, and y- y- there's, there's no way you could possibly make sense of it, and the person, the Jew, acknowledges is that this is from God. It's beyond us. It's something that we cannot possibly fathom, but we accept it. And we accept it, and we mourn, and we cry, and we, we try to find consolation. And, and, and yes, and we dwell upon it. The six days, seven days to just dwell and cry and, and mourn and, and, and try to be comforted. But ultimately, we recognize that this is from Hashem. And I think it was, it was just such an inspiring experience for me and my wife to be there, to, to see these remarkable people and to be inspired by their faith, by their amuna, by, by their strength. And I, I think it's a lesson for all of us. You know, thank, thank God we're healthy and hopefully we shouldn't experience any tragedy. And hopefully the Almighty will offer comfort to this family and you know, I think it's 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 important for us to to every once in a while we read in the parsha and uh, we experience it in our lives or we encounter it in our lives. It's it's a time for us to take this lesson to heart: is that the Almighty is running the show, and on one hand, it's very comforting, and it's very meaningful to know that there's no such a thing as mindless suffering. There's no such a thing. However. We don't necessarily understand how and why, and and that's God's calculations. On one hand, it's it's difficult to say, well, we just rely on God and He has all the answers, because that means we don't have the answers. But on the other hand, it also means that there are answers, and there is a reason, and there is a meaning, and there is a plan, and there is a purpose. We don't know it. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe yes. Maybe no. But to me, I just wanted to share that idea uh, with this remarkable family and, and what, despite everything they've gone through, how they model themselves after, after Aaron when he and the Jewish nation experienced this horrible tragedy, they were silent and they accepted the verdict and the judgment of God unquestioningly.